Today, we're talking about protecting cloud infrastructure, like infrastructure as a service, PaaS, and SaaS. We help you make sense of the differences between these very similar acronyms and what parts of each need to be backed up. If you've ever wondered if your PaaS or SaaS product needs to be backed up, you've come to the right place. Hi, I'm W. Curtis Preston, and they've been calling me Mr. Backup since I wrote the first book on the topic over 20 years ago. I've dedicated over 30 years to making sure that people like you keep your data safe from accidents, disasters, and cyber attacks. My podcast turns unappreciated backup admins into cyber recovery heroes. This is the Backup Wrap-Up. Welcome to the show. I have with me the guy who makes me sweat, Prasanna Maliandi. <laughs> How's it going, Prasanna? I'm good, Curtis. How you doing? Are you get yeah, that sweating is good? I, they say I, it helps release toxins. It helps you lose weight. It helps you feel healthy and more alive. And I don't know if I felt alive and- after I walked this morning. <laughs> yeah, for those who don't know, we live. 400 miles apart, but we go on walks together <laughs> via this little device here in my ear, just like we do the podcast. We are not in the same room. We're not even in the same county. Walking is good. And I think the reason that you built up such a sweat today was I was a little, just a tiny bit delayed in minutes, joining you. 15 I think, minutes delayed, sir. Sir. I think it was actually like, yeah, it was 15 minutes plus you started 10 minutes early. And I think you mentioned that. You were going to wait till I called you to turn around and start walking back. So, yeah. So that added up. <laughs> yeah. I walked one direction and I wasn't going to turn around until you called me. Um, so I did. I, but I did a good walk. I did a good walk today. Yeah. So let's stop talking about sweat and start talking about industry news. We have, I think, a very apropos story that comes to us from Denmark, the Danish hosting company that lost all of its customers' data, or at least the majority of its customer data, after a ransomware attack. What do you think about that? It's sad when these things don't shock you anymore. You know, you've sort of been acclimated to it, which is sad, right? But I'm not surprised, as we've seen, and we've had guests talk about this in the past, right? Ransomware isn't dying down, right? It's just getting worse and worse, and people are going after these larger... Uh, targets, if you will, right? More centralized, right? Rather than necessarily going after like mom and pops and all the rest. And a service provider is like the perfect place to go and tack, right? Because you have all these customers' data all in a central place, right? They're offering services. It's probably business critical data, all the rest of that. And it's like, why not go after them? And that way you're negotiating with the service provider if you are trying to get ransom out of them, right? Getting them to pay versus dealing with every single end user out there. Yeah, the article mentioned that this has been another new tactic by the ransomware folks because by attacking a hosting provider, you create not one victim, but many victims, any any one of which you could potentially go and get them to pay you a ransom in order to recover. Yeah, it reminds me a bit about the Rackspace attack that happened last year, Mm -hmm. right? Where they did target a very large service provider, right? Hitting their exchange environment. 
right? Yeah. And it's the same sort of things. It feels a bit like deja vu, right? Yeah, exactly. We encourage people that when they're hacked to tell people what happened. And there is a what happened section in a page that is in Danish, but we have translated it via the wonder of Google Translator. And what happened was they were in the middle of a server move and they there was a previously unknown infection. And during that server move, they were temporarily connected to an administrative network and that allowed the hackers to gain access and infect the backup systems. And then via the backup systems, they were able to, this, this is one of the things we talked about many times. And I know in, in recent episodes where we talked about that, you really need to focus on the security of your backup and recovery system because it is the goose <laughs> that, that has the golden yeah. egg, right? It has everything. Or crown jewels, whichever way you want to think about it. Yeah, the crown jewels. Yeah. Basically, it's one place. It's like they got the, the golden egg within the golden egg, right? They had the, this is the backups <laughs> within the hosting provider that creates multiple victims. But the basically, I, I will say this. I have to admire the company because they're saying they are refusing to pay <clears throat> the ransom, even though this quite possibly will have significant negative damage to the company because they don't have any backups of anybody's yeah. data. The craziest part was where there were suggestions for you to, re to rebuild your own website that actually pointed people at the web archive, <laughs> which is just the way back machine. The way back machine, yeah. yeah. That's just fundamentally wrong. So just two things to also add to this news story quickly. Uh, I think one is the article I think that you had referred to earlier was found on Bleeping Computer. Uh -huh. So if listeners, you want to go read more about it, go there. I think the other thing is it is mentioned that there are two companies that got hit, but the two companies actually belong to the same parent company. Mm. So there is that aspect right, as well. Right. So if you do read that, hey, there are two Nordic companies that got hit, they are owned by the same company. Gotcha. In the good news category, we have the fact that Windows 10 is now going to have uh, built-in the, the built-in backup features. It looks like that we're already in Windows 11. Microsoft was using that as a. Has anyone in the history of computing migrated to a new operating system because it had better backup software? Of course, Curtis. That's the first reason to migrate. But that's what Microsoft was thinking, that people would upgrade to Windows 11 because it had better backup. And it's just not happening. People are still hovering on Windows 10. And so they decided to add these. And they're saying that most of the functionality was not new. It was just all put under a single umbrella to increase ease yeah. of use. And then there was some new functionality. So like, that's... I don't know if you've ever tried to use backup in Windows 10, but it is awful. What is this, so what is I'm, this Windows uh, thing that you speak of? <laughs> I'm sure you, so I have one Windows, no, actually I have two Windows boxes at home, but yes, for both, which I rarely use, and most of the time it is powered off right. just because of ransomware and other things like that. But yeah, so yeah, anytime I try to get in and figure things out, I'm like, oh my God, I just want to shoot myself. Just make it simple. Yeah, absolutely. I think this story, the earlier story gives us a perfect segue into what we wanted to talk about. This is another part of our Backup to Basics series Ooh. where we review basically stuff from the book, Modern Data Protection. By the book, I mean my book from O'Reilly. And we're looking at Chapter 8, 
So first we've covered sort of traditional data sources, sort of servers and VMs and databases and things like that. Now we're starting to look at data sources that are relatively new, you know, comparatively speaking. And so the first thing we're going to talk about is the public cloud. Is that a thing? What is a public cloud? <laughs> yeah, what is a public cloud? Because honestly, if you take 10 people on the street, right, IT professionals, yeah. they don't have to be on the street because they don't have jobs, but just you find them <laughs> somehow, right? And you talk to them and you'll ask them, what's a public cloud? I bet you, you will get a half a dozen answers. Yeah, I think so. I still remember the first time I asked someone else, it happened to be Stephen Foskett, I asked him what the, I remember we were having lunch in Manhattan. I still remember this. The first time I asked that question, what in the world is this cloud thing they're talking about? And there, there is no such thing as a cloud, just somebody else's computer, right? That's basically yep. what, what I always tell people. And the big thing when, when we're talking the big thing I want to make sure that people understand is this stuff still needs to be backed up, right? Yeah. Everything needs to be backed up. The question is, who is doing that backup? Because the answer is not always the same. And even if you do figure out who is responsible and it's not you, you may still want to back it up in some fashion to avoid the news story we talked about earlier. Exactly, exactly. So let's first talk. So let's look at the different parts of the public cloud and just talk about that. And the first is okay. the one that I hate the most to, to say as an acronym because it doesn't, you, IaaS, that doesn't, just doesn't, infrastructure as a service. What would you, how would you define that? In my mind, that literally is whatever you're running on your physical, like, your applications were running somewhere on in your own data centers. Right. It needs to run somewhere in the cloud. Yeah. All you're doing is you're hosting those <clears> applications <throat> on infrastructure that you are renting, borrowing, whatever you want to call yeah. it from the public cloud provider, right? So this is, if I look at AWS, right? These are like EC2 compute instances, right? So I am borrowing infrastructure to host my application. It's probably EBS volumes because data needs to be stored on something as well. Yeah, I would say I would include S3 and I would include net the networking that's part of it as well. Basically storage, compute and networking that you're renting. Is that, yeah. does that seem about right? Yeah. <clears throat> and so here's the question. What, did you have something? Which in the past was a great first step for a lot of people trying to figure out how do I go from my data center to the cloud, right? Because in your mind, right, it's just an easy lift and shift. Whatever I was running on premises, I just rent the infrastructure and then I just run my applications on it. It's not a real big heavy lift for me. I'm not changing any applications or code or redoing things. It's just whatever was running here is now running there. Yeah. And just so that we're all on the same page, let's because we use this term lift and shift quite a bit. And I often use it pejoratively. Can I put Lee at the end of pejorative? I think I can. I use it in the pejorative sense. And, yes. and because I'm not a huge fan of lift and shift, right? It's a good like toe in the water. It allows you to yep. start using the public cloud. It is a lousy way to use the public cloud. If all yep. you do is take your VMs on-prem and move it to VMs in the cloud. Why do I say that? Because you get some of the benefits and all of the badness, right? That basically <laughs> you get, you basically, it's a really expensive way to have a data center, right? 
And so, and so and there's all these people that did this big lift and shift and they moved everything into cloud and they stopped using VMware and now they're using EC2. And then they're like, holy crap, this is expensive. <laughs> you're like, you went from owning a car to renting a car and you're still driving it 24 seven. It's gonna be expensive to do that way. The alternative yeah. is to do what's called refactor, which is actually programming to the hundreds of services that Amazon runs, and not just Amazon, but other providers, yeah. other services that they run, things that are, you use on demand and you pay for them as you use them rather than a server VM that's running 24 seven, regardless of what it's doing. Anyway, yeah. I stepped down off my soapbox. Yeah. I like what you talked about people being surprised by the cost aspect. And so one of the things I just wanted to plug is if you follow Corey Quinn on Twitter, I think he's part of Duckbill Group. He does an amazing job of breaking down public cloud costs and why you should be careful when you are doing lift and shift to the cloud. Exactly. Exactly. It's good. It's a good resource. Does this need to be backed up, Persona? Of course. <laughs> yes. Is it data? The answer is always yes. I'll give you yeah. a clue. The answer is always yes. So here, so here's a question. Let's talk specifically AWS because you and I have spent a lot of time in AWS. It's not the only cloud provider, it's just the one I have the most experience with. If you have EC2 instances, are they backed up in any way if you don't do anything? I do not believe that. I don't think so. And when you talk about EC2, remember, EC2 is just compute. You need to actually attach a volume, which is an EBS volume, right, right. in order to actually store the right. data. Really what we're right. talking and about I is the EBS e volume that's behind that. Yeah. And yeah, it is my understanding that with EC2, if you have a VM, literally nothing, nothing that anyone would, literally nothing. Like it's not even, there's not even something that maybe someone consider a backup, but others would not. There's nothing, right? You are 100% responsible for that. Exactly. Yeah. Unless you do take advantage of things like EBS snapshots. Yeah. It's available to you. The right. tools are there. It's available. But my point of making yeah. is specifically with, again, this is just speaking of EC2. I think it's actually the same in other like Azure and GCP that specifically VMs, they're assuming you're running this thing, it, it, you're in charge, right? There are two ways to back up a VM in the cloud, right? You can use the built-in tools. Essentially, they call them snapshots. I don't like to call them snapshots. They are actually mm. image copies. It's actually a copy of that drive made to another location. In the case of AWS, it is, it's in S3 right? EBS snapshots are stored in S3. So they're stored as an object and you can do incremental snapshots, right? Then what do you do once you've done that? Since the EBS snapshot lands in S3, right? You get all the benefits of S3, right? So it is replicated within three availability zones, right? The only downside is right? That's just one copy. You still want to follow the three, two, one rule, right? So you want to make sure that that one copy also makes it into a different region, a different account. So using S3 technologies, you can make sure that the image copy that's in S3 in a local spot gets replicated to somewhere else in a different account. So you get protected as well. Exactly. Code space, code spaces. That's all I'm going <laughs> to say. <laughs> Codespaces.com. Read that story. That's why you've got to put it in a different account and a different region, right? That, that, that's yeah. the way in the cloud. That's the way you comply with the three, two, one rule, right? Uh, yeah. Veeam likes to turn it into three, two, one, one, zero. I, I don't like to do that. I just like to say, listen, just properly follow by the three, two, one rule that says having multiple things 
on different, the idea of the two is having it on two different things that have different risk profiles, right? So put it in a different region. And also the one, I think the truly one is to have it offsite, not only to have it in another region, but to have it in another account. So if your one main account is compromised, then it's not going to, it's not going to be over there. And, and and maybe for listeners who may not have heard us talk about three, two, one rule before, do you want to explain what the three, two, one rule yeah. is? <laughs> yeah. If, <laughs> yeah. Thanks. So three, two, one rule is just a rule of thumb that was coined by uh, somebody who we actually had on the podcast, Peter Krogh. He's a digital photographer. And he just said, you want to have three copies of every piece of data. He does see the fir- the original is one of those copies. So then the two of those three, two of those, you want them to have them on two different risk profiles. He's talking about maybe two different kinds of media. And mm-hmm. in this case, we're saying, put it in two different regions. Some people like to take that to the point of saying, we're going to put one on disc and one on tape. I don't have any disagreement with that. And then the one is making sure that one of the copies is offsite. In the cloud, there is no such thing as offsite. So that's, again, why we talk about a different region. And I think the different account is, you know. Gets added yeah. to that. Mainly yeah. today, we use the 321 to show things that aren't backups, right? Um, we're going to get to that in a minute. Uh, things that definitely are not backups. All right. So what's next? We're talking about PaaS. What is PaaS, Persona? Platform as a service. Right. And I think this evolved because, okay, IaaS was first level, the base level, yeah. if you will. And then people were like, that's too complicated, right? Yeah. It basically doesn't help simplify my management aspects, right? I'm still managing infrastructure. I don't want to have to deal with that. And so PaaS was built on top and it's more platform as a service. So these are things like you'll still be managing and deploying your applications, but you don't have to deal with all the underlying infrastructure and figuring out how many EC2 instances you have to spin up and everything else. So an example of this would be AWS RDS, which is their database service, which allows you to say provision for MySQL or Oracle, right? Or Postgres, I believe. And so you can spin up these database instances without having to worry about, okay, how many individual EC2 nodes do I need and all the rest of that. Yeah, instead of saying, build a box and then install Oracle on it, right? They're like, here's an Oracle database, right? Here's your, here's your admin password and log in and do all the things. Tell us how big you want it, what tables you want, all those things. And you're administering it, maybe even not even through the traditional Oracle interface. You may have a, another UI that you're using to create the tables. You probably in the case of Oracle and MySQL, you probably can also administer it via the standard tools but you may have this additional UI and you just get this, here's this database. Now, I won't bother asking, should it be backed up? But here's my question. Do you know whether or not RDS databases, for example, are automatically backed up? So I think that they do have a policy Mm -hmm. that you can create to say, I want to do automatic backups. I'm not sure if it's default on or not. I believe that it actually is by default on, but it's just a very basic like snapshot replicated S3 stays in the same account, stays in the same region, all of that. I'm pretty sure that- For 30 days only. For 30 days, yeah. And then if you want to do more than that, if you want to replicate to another region, if you want to replicate to another account, which you should, that's (laughs) where it's up to you. Yeah. But even that, again, that's still, if you're not getting it out of that account, 
I don't think of that as a valid backup. Leave it in the account, yes, for convenience and ease of restore, but get it out of the account from a security perspective and a risk perspective. And that other account should be locked down, right? Yes. You don't want anyone and everyone to have access. Someone gets access to the production account. You don't want them to necessarily be able to quickly get access to that backup account. Exactly. In addition to locking it down and having super crazy MFA and all of those things, mm -hmm. I would configure it so that if and when somebody does log into it, it sets off all kinds of alarms mm -hmm. that go to... Danger Will Robinson. Danger, Danger. Will Robinson, yeah. Some of our listeners might not get that reference. but <laughs> um, So, yeah, also needs to be backed up, also needs to be transferred. With the case of EC2, right, there's a couple different ways. We talked about the, the, the snapshot plus replication is the typical way. Mm -hmm. There, You can also load an agent on an EC2 thing. With RDS specifically, now again, we're only talking about RDS just because this is where you and I have a lot of experience. There are other tools you need mm -hmm. to look into their, those tools. In the case of RDS, I'm pretty sure you're stuck with the RDS way of backing up. You can't put yeah. in an agent. And I know, for example, in the case of Oracle, I and I don't know if they've changed this, but the last time I checked, our man backups work. Our man restores do not. Yep, which is really which is weird. Really weird. But... And just wrong, right? Um, I don't even know how, like, how you would go about restoring. So what do you think people that are doing RDS backups via non-standard or standard ways, what do you think they should do to know exactly how that stuff works? They should try it out. They should try it right? out. Exactly. Test your backups. Do your test restores, right? Try these various scenarios and figure out, can I restore a table space? Can I restore an instance, right? Can I restore... Drop table. Logs, right? Roll back in top. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Roll back in time, right? Do all those things work? Because it's better to try it now before you actually need it yeah. rather than scrambling last minute. Exactly. And there are all kinds of different paths. Generally, when I think about paths, generally I find myself talking about a database of some sort. I was also thinking about things like VMware Cloud, right? Which runs in the public cloud, right? That's probably more of a PaaS. No, or no, is it more of I an see that, IS? I see that as IS, yeah. Yeah, because again, you're just managing yeah. VMs, right? Yeah. Now, let's talk about that. VMware Cloud like, but, on AWS is a yeah. great thing to talk about. And that is that it's it has a completely different backup and recovery paradigm, right? You need to use mm -hmm. a tool that knows how to backup VMware Cloud on AWS or on the other yeah. places where VMware Cloud happens to run. And any decent modern backup and recovery tool is going to have that. But don't assume if you're moving from VMware on-prem to VMware Cloud on AWS, don't assume that your backup product will support it because one big thing, for example, is like you, you have to use the APIs. You can't there, there's no place where you can install stuff to, to do things like the old way, but you have to use yeah. the APIs. Yeah. The other thing also specifically with VMware Cloud is you have to also check to see, because I know at least in the past, there was some functionality which isn't fully available mm -hmm. in the VMware Cloud environment just because of the infrastructure and other complexities that you might have been able to do on-premises. So if you were relying on certain restore functionality specifically, that may not work in VMware Cloud. 
By the way, speaking of VMware Cloud, six years ago today, according to photos in my library, VMware was talking about VMware Cloud on AWS at VMworld that I was attending because it popped up a photo of the of the, <laughs> the slides. I was like, what? Oh, crazy. They're going to run VMware on AWS? What in the world? Who would want to do that? I said. And once again, the world said, us. Yeah. All right. So the next is serverless services. That's a mouthful. (laughs) That's a handful. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say. Yeah. Say that 10 times fast, Curtis. Go. Yeah. I'm not going to do that. So this is like Lambda and other things. Remember, there's always a server behind serverless services. Yeah. But I don't, these are typically actions that do things against other things that I don't think. Is this the one exception to the backup rule? So so I would disagree with that. Okay. All right. I think you still need to back up because think of serverless what as are you backing you're writing up? function. I think you have to back up the actual function. Okay. The, so the, the function that you've created, yeah, just yeah. this is just like Kubernetes and Dockers. You're backing up sort of the configuration but the yep. thing the serverless action is doing is going to affect some other piece of storage. That's the thing that you're going to be backing up. Yeah. yeah. You should already be backing that up independently. Okay. So I, I, as I was saying it, I was probably in the back of my brain was like, well, what about the configuration? Yeah. So yes, yeah. you want to back up the configuration, the thing that you developed that you're running as a function. And it may be complicated because one of the things, like I know we haven't quite talked about it on this episode, but it's why do you back up, right? It's to be able to store in the case of different types of failures, right? Right. And one of it is, hey, that Lambda or the serverless function that I wrote, it's not behaving the way I want it. I want to be able to go back in time and restore whatever it was from like a month ago. Yeah, yeah, the whole agile development model. I'm 17 revisions in. And yeah, exactly. That is one of the reasons we restore is developers mess up stuff, (laughs) right? All right, so let's talk about our next cloud resource that we may or may not want to bag up. Little thing called SaaS. SaaS. (laughs) Software. So I think first before, yeah. So before we get into whether or not we should back it up, Curtis, I want you to give your definition of what you think SaaS is and what you think SaaS is not, because there's a lot of confusion out there when people use the word SaaS. Yeah, there there are two things that are often marketed as SaaS, and there's one really big company that's marketing itself as SaaS. And I'm like, I'm sorry, that is not SaaS. SaaS is, it's easier to define it in terms of to give examples of it than an example of SaaS is Microsoft 365, Salesforce, HubSpot, it's a service, it's an application, yes, but it's an application where you don't manage any of the infrastructure, you just use the thing. You go to Microsoft 365 and you say, I wanna add 7,000 users and magic happens underneath the covers, all of the, all of the infrastructure that does have to be provisioned to make that happen. That happens without you, hopefully without you even feeling it. It may, if you go and you say, I need to provision a hundred thousand users, Microsoft 365 might say, give me a minute because <laughs> yeah. it's got to go out and provision a bunch yeah. of storage, but yeah. or, go ahead. 
or even how, like how we're recording this podcast. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. This is a SaaS. We're now using Squadcast to record this podcast. And y- you and I log in, we go to a website, we go, we say record, it does the magic and then saves the data. That is another example of a SaaS service. Now, what is not an example of a SaaS service? Adobe software. <laughs> this is Creative Cloud. Yeah, Adobe Creative Cloud is not SaaS. They keep like the CEO of Adobe say, we want to be 100% SaaS by 2025 or whatever. And I'm like, you're not 0% SaaS. What is often called SaaS is subscription-based pricing. They're saying, well, it's a software as a service, right? No, it's software as a subscription, right? Which also, by the way, is is SaaS. (laughs) It comes out as SaaS. So so I think there is one correction, though. I know with Adobe, right, is a lot of the tools. Like one reason why I know you complain about it is you want to use Photoshop, right? You subscribe to Creative Cloud. Uh You download Photoshop. You have to install it. You have to manage the updates. You're doing all of that. I believe now Adobe is actually pushing towards a true SaaS product for Photoshop where it is everything done on the web. When that happens, I will rescind my thing. But if I'm downloading something and I'm installing it on my infrastructure, that is not SaaS. I can think of, I don't want to pick on them by name, but there's a backup vendor that sells their stuff now through subscription-based pricing and they call it SaaS. And I'm like, I'm sorry, that is not SaaS, right? <laughs> and, and I don't really care what you call your product. It's just, it's just a little confusing when we're trying to talk about backing up SaaS. I think that when you say SaaS, it should mean one thing. And it means like yeah. Microsoft 365, a service that I use via, I'll give you one. If I've got, I don't think anyone does this, but if I had to what, you know what? Zoom, Zoom is a perfect example. I have to install a piece of software to use Zoom, but it's just a UI to the infrastructure that's running in the background, right? It's not, I'm not running Zoom on my platform. That's still SaaS. Yes, and technically you could also not have to install a client locally, you could always use a web client well, there you go. and join by that. Okay. So, yeah. So here's my, we've talked about this plenty of times, but my biggest problem with SaaS is that so many people seem to think that because I'm getting the entire application delivered to me on a silver platter, backup is part of that service. Isn't it, Curtis? Come on. <laughs> now you're just poking the bear. Yeah, it's not. Here's the thing. There may be a SaaS service out there. In fact, I may have encountered one where they actually include backups as part of the infrastructure and it's in the service contract. It's in the documentation, right? And those backups, by the way, if you actually have backups as part of the product, all I want to know is how do they conform to the three, two, one rule? How can I make sure that at least one of those copies is being managed in a different location and has a different risk profile than the primary stuff? My, do, do, can you remember what three-letter acronym I would throw out to remind people about what happens when you have the backups managed by the same people? OVH. OVH, exactly. <laughs> yeah. OVH, the largest 
cloud provider headquartered in France had a backup service for the back the servers that they were backing up, and the data was stored literally in the same data center. And when they had this giant fire, it took out both the production and the backup systems. And even if I was using a SaaS service that said it had SaaS or said it had backup, I, I would need a really good reason <clears throat> to use that service. It would be so much easier for me in terms of to feel better, to back that up to a different service, at least that way. Again, it's splitting the risk profile, right? Yeah. So one other example, I know we don't normally think of it as SaaS, but I think the Rackspace example with their managed email is actually SaaS. Yeah, yeah. I think it might actually be PaaS because it was hosted exchange, but I, okay. but I never... It's somewhere between pass and SaaS, right? Okay. Because if you're still managing exchange like it's exchange and you're not just, mm. but if the UI, I never administered, if the UI is yeah. basically the same as 365 and you just get the advantages of having all your data in one place, then it would be, then it would be, that would be SaaS. But SaaS. But yeah. But they were doing their own backups. They were right? doing their own backups as well. And we know how that went. So we don't mean to pick on these same companies, but it's just good. They're really good examples, examples for <clears throat> right. And yeah, if you don't want me to name you as an example, uh, then don't, don't do bad stuff. Back up your data. Back up your data. Yeah. If you don't want to be the next example that I talk about on some future episode of this podcast, then just don't do that stuff. So summary statement, Persona, all cloud stuff needs to be backed up. Any problems with that statement? Yes. Okay. And then what do we want to do? We want to make sure that we separate the backups from the primary as much as possible. And I talk about a different yep. region and a different account. And then you brought up a real good point of making sure that backup, because again, now this is your core. It's your, you know, it's the, the golden goose and the egg, right? So yep. make sure that You've locked that down as much as you possibly can. I was thinking about this. You know what we should be calling that thing? What? You know how they have that seed vault in, where is it? Somewhere in like Arctic region where they have like all these seeds for all oh, these yeah, plants yeah, yeah. and they're the, stored. Um, give me a second. It's, um, it's heirlooms, the heirloom the seed vault. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's what this should be, right? This is literally the last copy of all your data yeah. for your entire company, right? You want to preserve it just like that. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's uh, people probably don't know about that, but basically an heirloom seed is an unmodified original thing and somewhere somebody's storing seeds for all these things just in case. It's across it was, the world, yeah. Yeah, a yeah. nuclear disaster or something. Well, this has been a good episode. Hopefully you've uh, learned a lot about Backing up cloud resources. The first of, let's see, the first of like three different um, modern things that need to be backed up. And um, yep. any final thoughts on that, Persona? I think the final thought would be just because it runs in the cloud doesn't mean you don't need to back it up. Ask the question, how are you protecting your data and where is it going? Yeah. Couldn't have said it better. <laughs> so anyway, thanks a lot, Prasanna. 
Thank you, Curtis. Always fun. Always a pleasure. Always fun. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Backup Wrap-Up. It is an independent podcast, and any statements made are the opinions of the speaker and not necessarily their employer. Be sure to check out our other episodes on BackupWrapUp.com, our YouTube channel by the same name, or, of course, wherever you get your podcasts.